Uh, good evening once again. Um, Uh, while we were sitting, I, I thought about another poem to share with you. It's a poem by Hafiz. Um, he was a, um, you know, a Persian poet. I think a few years later than Rumi, I'm not sure. Um, there's several people who are translating his work now. It's a short poem. It's, it's called The Ten Thousand Idiots. Um, and uh, he says, uh, it is a great mistake... It is a great mistake for the aspirant on the spiritual path to begin to think and believe that the 10,000 idiots who lived and ruled for so long inside have packed their bags and left town. <laughs> or died. <laughs> so... <clears throat> But it's very curious how we can have 10,000 idiots running around inside and at the same time be a spiritual person. This is... <laughs> like, how does that work? So I'm going to attempt to talk about this tonight. We'll see. <clears throat> Sometimes I, I kind of take for granted that you must already know all of this and that we're kind of just, you know, sharing what we already know. But on the other hand, I, maybe I better talk some more about this so you because one of the obviously one of the questions that comes up because you know as Buddhists is doesn't Buddhism say there's no self so what are you talking about you know this so this is an interesting question and what Buddhism says when it, there when Buddhism says there's no self there's no self that you can identify you know like you could say I'm a man or I'm a woman I'm 40 or 30 or 20 or 60 is that you? Um, because inside you're simply awareness. Then when you make yourself into an object, you can say of the object, you know, man or woman, certain age, I'm intelligent, I'm not so intelligent, I've gotten somewhere, I haven't gotten anywhere. You can, you can make up all kinds of stories about the fictitious self that you have, that you just made up. And what Buddhism teaches is you make up this self and then you settle down and forget that you made up this self and settle down and believe that there is such a thing. <laughs> Am I making any sense here? I'm sorry. <laughs> so uh, Buddhism says that self doesn't you know, really exist. It exists as a, the, the Tibetans say, you know, provisionally. Provisionally, yes, I'm a man, I'm a woman, I'm a certain age. But, you know, sometimes if you're upset, or, you know, I've done certainly different exercises, and then somebody will say, well, how old are you? I mean, last fall I did a, a process workshop with a, an amazing, wonderful woman from, who lives up in B.C. with her husband, and, you know, we spent five days being you know, in, in the womb and up to three or four years old. <laughs> and then, you know, somebody says, how old are you in the middle of one of those processes? Like, six months? <laughs> and I had uh, amazing 
we were doing a meditation and I had amazing experiences of being in the womb. And you know, my mother had uh, cancer and was going to die not so long. And that womb was very intense. You know, there was a lot of... Sometimes when people are, you know, have studied these things to an extent, you know, I, I study sometimes with a woman who, she says when she's pregnant, you know, she, that's a bubble. The room here is rented, it, but it's somebody else's room now. You don't go in there without knocking first. <laughs> this is somebody with careful boundaries. You know, rather than somebody who's in your space all the time telling you what to think and what to feel and how to live your life. Thanks, Mom. And, you know, and then you want to say at some point, cut the umbilical cord or, you know, get back in your head or something, you know, like you, like, we're two people, remember? So, uh, so it's not always clear. But in, so my mother was not that well trained and she had a lot of feelings. She was angry and sad and scared and worried and, you know, all this was going on and I'm in this. And um, at one point, I, you know, in meditating about this, at this workshop, I started feeling, um, I have to get out. I have to get out, but I can't. And that's a particular kind of, you know, development in your psyche. You're going to hunker down and survive, no matter what. People do different things, and when you get to that point of duress, what do you do, you know? So I, I know something about maintaining myself under this duress and being beneath the surface. I'm going to survive. I will see this through. And then sure enough, I was born premature. I did get out, as some people have said when I do this kind of work, I did get out as soon as you, you got out as soon as you could. And that wasn't so great because then I was premature and I was in, an, you know, in the hospital for three weeks. And people say, when did you, when did you start meditating? Uh, when did you start being interested in Zen? I got out of the womb and I lay there like staring at the ceiling three weeks. And then what did I do when I grew up? Zen. You have your cushion. That's your spot. You face the wall. Nobody talks to you. You don't talk to anybody. Nobody touches you. You don't touch anybody. It's called post-traumatic reenactment. Or spiritual practice. We're not sure, you know. And anyway, if somebody says, how old are you? Well, sometimes you're six months. Sometimes you're in utero. You know, sometimes it may be another lifetime. You know, you're not just one age. We're not just, you know. And inside, you know, inside we're, we're you know, finally, you know, we're spirit, we're soul. We're, or you could say awareness. We are awareness itself. And what can you say about awareness itself? You can't say about awareness itself, it's any particular age, it has any particular feeling. Any feeling you have, that's an object of awareness. So, Buddhist teachers try to explain this. You know, Pema Chodron, I love her expression, you are the sky. Everything else, that's the weather. <laughs> and you know, you don't try to, oh, let's improve the weather. But you can try to improve yourself once you believe in it. You know, if you forget that you're the sky and you start thinking that there's somebody here that I need to fix so that people will like me better or that things will go better for me or, you know, 
And it's, you know, it's, it's in its way, it's quite wonderful that we have these positive intention, you know, or commitment vow not to harm others, to be a benefit to others, uh, to, you know, be generous, kind, uh, to grow in wisdom and compassion. Okay, you know, good, good, good thought, you know, good to do. And the more that's in alignment, those intentions are in alignment with your core, your fundamental, original spirit, awareness, then they have real power. So, um, but anyway, I want to talk a little bit more tonight about this awareness itself. Um, and I want to, first of all, give you some different uh, languaging for, for this, um, you know, your, your spirit, or, you know, what Rumi calls soul. In Zen, we sometimes call it true nature. My Zen teacher, Suzuki Rishi, would say, you should realize your true nature and then express that fully. Express yourself fully. Your true nature. And he would say, when you're meditating, you're not breaking any precepts. When you stand up, <laughs> you may have some problems. And he would say, there's two ways to follow the precepts. One is, don't kill. Do not take what is not given. Do not uh, misuse the sex sexuality. Uh, you know, do not indulge in intoxicants and so on. Or he would say, or you can follow the precepts positively, which is realize your core, your true nature, and express that. Your true nature is already you know, one with everything. And yet, it's you. And, um, and then he said, if you follow this way, if you uh, follow the precepts in this way, sometimes you will need to apologize. <laughs> I understand that didn't work out. It wasn't as clear uh, an expression of my true nature as I would like it, I would have liked it to be, I'm sorry, you know. Um, but you're aiming to express what is innermost in your life, in your heart, in your being. Uh, and this to me, you see, I've been following this now for, you know, many years, and uh, this to me is um, so much more appealing than Here's a list of behaviors that you should be doing and some others that you shouldn't be doing. And keep checking back on this list so that you know what to do and not to do. And our society wants you to think that this is the way that you change your life. You know, you follow what your head tells you. What were you thinking? Why were you thinking that? You need to think something else. And we need to, you know, put these thoughts into you so that you'll behave the way you should. And then we do something like that sometimes in Buddhism. But underneath, or finally, what's the point? You know, something inside, something inside, you know, what, where, as Rumi says, um, let yourself be silently drawn by the stronger pull of what you really want. What do you really want? What you really want is to connect what is inside with what is outside and to share the goodness that is, you know, that you know you are in your good heart, to share it with people. How do you talk then? How do you, what do you do? What do you say? You know, 
How are you going to share this? And we all have different flavors of this good heart. Uh, so, for instance, um, uh, Larry Dossey has written a book, uh, Healing Words. He's written many books, but that's the one I'm most familiar with. And Larry Dossey was a, grew up in a fundamentalist family and then went to, at the last minute, his brother said, no, you should go to UT. He was going to become a minister. And finally, he ended up going to the University of Texas. He became a doctor. And he thought, I've left that fundamentalism behind. And then here he is as a doctor, and he starts coming across scientific studies showing that prayer works. So am I a scientist or a religious kook? <laughs> but it's scientific. Prayer works. And amazingly enough, you know, that the, what science says is that the most powerful prayer in Christian terms would be, Thy will be done. In Buddhist terms, it's more like, May the best results occur. Or I use, um, Homage to the perfection of wisdom, the lovely, the holy which I could give a whole lecture about, but I'm not. Um, and uh, so, for instance, they did a study. They cloned alfalfa seeds and cloned a mold that grows on alfalfa seeds, and they have three plots. And sometimes, you know, they put these things behind solid iron or something, so can the prayer get in there? <laughs> and, of course, it does. Consciousness is not bound by, you know, the physical world. Consciousness is not bound like that. Um, and um, so they have these, uh, the alfalfa, and they have three plots of what the alfalfa and the mold that, you know, will injure the alfalfa. And one, they, they don't do anything. There's no prayers. And one, they pray, may the alfalfa grow big and tall. And the third, they say, thy will be done. And that one grows the best. Because you want your, your will or your intention to be in accord with, you know, the everything. Um, so this is very interesting. So, the, the, you know, it, it grows better if you pray, may it grow big and tall. Or as Bob Dylan said, you know, God is not your messenger boy. I want this, I don't want that. <laughs> um, so it's a little confusing, I think, for Buddhists to hear this sort of thing. But um, just to finish up about what Larry Dossi suggests, he says that a number of scientists are now beginning to conclude that the total number of minds in the universe is one. In other words, consciousness itself, mind itself, consciousness, there's just, there's just you can't, it's just one consciousness. And what he says and what he points out is science, and science likes to believe somehow that, you know, there's an egg and there's a sperm and at some point that material generates consciousness. Nobody's ever shown that. How does that work? How does, how does consciousness come about? And of course, if you listen to the Dalai Lama or, you know, Buddhists, I don't know, consciousness is first, then matter. And, um, and then what he suggests is, you know, that each of us has, it's like having your own channel of the one consciousness, and each of us is a, you know, one little, one station.
of that one consciousness. So, and some of those stations, you know, are really good at music, you know, and others may be good at cooking. You know, some people, some people's consciousness likes to meditate. Some, I have friends who just really seem to enjoy life. Where do you... You know, it seems to me like they won the genetic lottery. <laughs> I didn't get that. <laughs> so it's, and, and so we seem to, you know, have these different kind of virtues or gifts or blessings or, you know... And we also, of course, have our wounds. We have a lot to, you know, work with. Uh, a lot of, you know... But this is so... And another way to think about it is each of us has, you know, our own frequency. Consciousness that's at a particular attunement. And, you know, it has certain aspects that, you know, I don't, I don't do music well. But some people, they, they, they know, they, can, they, can, they play music. And, um, uh, and so on, you know, and some people paint and some people are, you know, develop communication skills and, you know, so we all have um, gifts. You know, what, what did we, and we, we came here. And inside, you know, we forget. We're, it's said that, you know, you forget when you're born. And then you spend the rest of your life, what, what, what did I come here for? <laughs> And, and, and then the more we can um, be living a life that's in accord with our core, our, you know, our spirit that is connected, our inner life, our inner world. And, you know, I haven't heard Buddhists talk about this exactly, but um, except for like Zen Master Dogen, for instance, says, when you practice... Guides appear, uh, ascend from the earth and descend from heaven. Founder of the Soto School, you know, my school in Japan. So that's pretty powerful, you know. In other words, but the sense is that your true nature is already connected with everything. Suzuki Rishi said, you know, true nature is like sitting in great space. You're not thinking about, um, you know, these fictitious self. You just sit in great space. When you're in that space, then you're fine. So this um, uh, core or true nature or essence, um, some people equate this more with the, you know, the chakra system, but this is more the back body than the front body. More the back body and the energy that's associated with your spinal column. Um, but we could also say that it's, um, so, you know, so one way to, you know, I was suggesting this meditation tonight of who is it who hears words, um, you know, who is it in your ear hearing uh, my voice, who is it who speaks words with your mouth, who looks out from your eyes. And one way to, um, there are various ways to study this, but one way, of course, is to feel inside and what inside seems to be most you, most clearly you. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, it's, and then it's um, possible over some time, you know, to have the expand the sense of what is you. So you're full of you. you fill yourself with you, with your spirit. 
with what you came here to do. Uh, you know, rather than listening to all the, you should this, you shouldn't that, you know. And um, a lot of what we do is to come up with, we get pictures of how to live a life and that are very captivating. It's quite nice and and very useful, you know. I did that, you know, I mean, we have a whole lifetime to do this. So I did that for 20, 30, 40 years. Hey, um, and at some point, I became more interested in how do I express myself, you know, my gift, my heart. What am I going to do? How do I do that? And to encourage others. What about your core, you know, your essence? Most intimately you inside. And this, uh, what is most intimately you is, um, like awareness itself, it can't be, it's holy. In other words, you can't say about it, it's good, it's bad, it's right, it's wrong. The way thinking can assess things and measure and evaluate. You're not as good as that, you're not as good a cook as that other person. You're not such a great musician, you know. You should, you know, and so we get pictures of how we could um, look, how we could be. Uh, and we never seem to quite arrive, of course. And at some point, uh, you know, it's, you set aside your pictures. And... Um, you can be, and you have uh, your. You start giving yourself permission for you to be you. So, for instance, Suzuki she said, "Some of you are trying to be good Zen students. Why don't you be yourself? I will get to know you better that way. Who is that you that you could get to know better? You know, rather than." turning yourself into a picture of what is good. And of course, when you turn, start turning yourself into a picture of what is good, you know, then pretty soon you can't, you know, if somebody asks you to do something, you can't say no, because that wouldn't be good. <laughs> it wouldn't be good to have boundaries, you know, and know what you want and what you don't want and what you agree to and not agree to, because if somebody asks, you should just, you know, you should just be generous and give it to them. So we have a lot of, um, you know, actually problems and issues in our life because we don't understand to know what's going on here within these boundaries. Once I, when I know what's going on here, um, then I can start to live from here and clarify, you know, what's me, what's not me, and what I say yes to, what I say no to. Um, and I have this, I have my own, I can... I'm my own authority, and I'm not using, I'm not just doing what's right according to the, the textbook, according to all the pictures that we're given, that we've come along, that we've come across, that we devote ourselves to. So in Buddhism, this, of course, is called liberation, <laughs> you know, freedom. You, you move toward and attain some freedom and liberation as you 
free yourself from the pictures and the thoughts that have captivated you as to what your life should look like. And you start living from inside and knowing for yourself. This is very similar, of course, to, you know, cooking. What is marjoram good for? Well, marjoram you can use with potatoes and green beans and this and that. And that. Do I have to memorize these lists in order to cook? And the more you taste what you put in your mouth, then pretty soon you start to know for yourself what you like, what you don't like, how to cook. And in your own kitchen, you're in charge. You are the cook. When people come to my classes, I say, this is my kitchen, I'm the cook. You do what I ask. When you get home, do what you want. <laughs> right? That's the way it works. And, you know, all of our... So, you know, what should you... You know, and an example of this in, in the, that kind of class is, I say, let's taste this, these uh, canned tomatoes. And people say, well, what should we be tasting? <laughs> Wouldn't you rather have the right experience than just have an experience? Wouldn't it be important to get it right? What should you be tasting? Or, you know, I, went, I used to go to sensory awareness classes with Charlotte Silver, and she'd say, I'd like you to turn your head to the right and then bring it back to the middle. Any questions? <laughs> and people say, what, what are we supposed to notice? What are we supposed to experience? So we get these pictures, these images, these thoughts that there is a, a way that it's supposed to be, rather than just finding out, well, and then we, you know, you can, well, what, what was that like? When you did that, what did you notice? Uh, so, you know, this all, this goes back to, for instance, the story of a Zen master, you know, again, 8th century or something. Um, you know, the, the monk asked the teacher, how do I attain liberation? And the teacher said, who's binding you? What's binding you? How do you bind yourself? You bind yourself with the pictures of how it should be. How you want it to be. This is what we do. And the, so the more you can let go of pictures, images, feel what's inside, you know. And you have choice. Get down to it, you have choice. Where, what will you do with your... Mary Oliver's expression was, your one wild and precious life. What will you do with your one wild and precious life? Now there's a Zen teacher for you, huh? <laughs> so... Um, uh, another way to think about this, by the way, is that, um, you know, oftentimes we, well, the way it works is once you believe something, you have a belief system, you will look for evidence to support your belief system. And any other evidence is useless. So you don't even notice it. You know, um, so you can think things about yourself and you can believe things about yourself. You know, I'm smart or I'm beautiful or I'm, you know, I'm, 
I'm worthless. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> I know about these kind. And then, and then, and then you look around for evidence, and you always find some way that you don't measure up, that you're not that great. If you think I'm worthless, then you can find evidence for it. So what you look for, you'll find more of it. You know, and if you, and if you, if you think I know what I'm doing. Uh, then if, uh, if in any occasion you don't know what you're doing, it's their fault. I know what I'm doing. So they're, it's their problem. They're wrong. So we can always find evidence to support our beliefs about ourselves. And this inner, this inner, you know, this uh, true nature or core or essence, there's no evidence. And there's nothing that can be said about it. It's not good or bad. It's just holy. And it's, so it's what, you know, um, sometimes people say, in fact, we could try this if you want. I'll give you just a little exercise here, but we're not going to get up and walk around. But we'll try it just sitting here, okay? I've never tried this just with people sitting. I'd usually try it with where we get up and walk around, but we're not going to, you know, it's, a lot of people, chairs. Okay, are you ready? Yeah. Really to do a little exercise? Okay, so um, what would it be like, and I want, I'd like you to picture this, what would it be like to be good? How do you do good? So often when we do good, it's like... <laughs> and you know, it's when you're good, it's... Uh, you have to, you know, sit up straight, and usually you can't talk much. <laughs> it's not good to talk, as people have always told you, you know, like, be quiet. Talk only when you're spoken to. And, you know, various things that we've learned. How to be good is, you know, like... <laughs> and it's not much fun. Um, but some of us are really good at it. Some of us are really good at being good. Some of us aren't so good at it. Um, you know, but... Um, and one thing, another thing about being good... Um, you, you don't really get to know anybody. Because that's not nice. You know, to, to reveal something about yourself or for somebody to see you, I'm good. And then, if anything, um, yes, and the kids are all great. And, you know, I mean, it's cocktail party talk. <laughs> Nobody gets to know anything about you. So, and then there's, um, okay, so setting aside being good, then what about being bad? What's it like to be bad? Hey. You get to move and bounce around and, you know, get in people's faces. And um, when I do this in groups, you know, sometimes they, um, people don't want to do this. And I say, now that is really bad, that you're not even going to follow the instructions and be bad. <laughs> um, but this is, this is very interesting, too, you know, because you can, you can have fun. It's fun to be bad. 
you know, and and you um, and you can you know you can do different things. Hi and yoo-hoo, and, and you can sneak up on people and tickle them, and you know it's bad. But it, interestingly enough, you also don't necessarily have connection. Okay, do you, do you understand connection? Because you're 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 busy doing this play, this acting, this performance, this this stuff. It's a style. It's a manner. And it gets it passes the time and it's entertaining for you. But did you meet anybody? <laughs> so at some point you see if you can set aside being good and set aside being bad, what about being an ordinary person? Just an ordinary human being. Who's not busy being good? Who's not busy being bad? But just being you. Just being an ordinary person. And when people start feeling like, oh, I could be an ordinary person, then the room shifts. And people start clustering together. And they like being close. We like being close to other people and connected with them. And we're able to connect because we're not busy with how I look. Am I doing it right? We've set aside right and wrong, good and bad, and we're just breathing and hanging out. It's pretty sweet. So at that level, it's pretty sweet. And then, you know, it gets more complicated, right? Because we have to make a living, and there's the kids, and <laughs> and how do I get to work? But that does remind me of a story, you know, a friend of mine, um, <laughs> I chuckled because my friend Jack Elias, um, I saw him at a Zen Center reunion, and we were roommates at Tassajara back in the 60s. And at some point after Tassajara, he had gone to study with Trungpa Rinpoche in Boulder, Colorado. He said, yeah, I went to study with Trimbar Rinpoche and I got married and I had three kids and I was selling commercial real estate. <laughs> and one morning, you know, I had a, an appointment at 10 o'clock or 9 o'clock to sell commercial real estate and my kids just were not getting ready for school. And I had to get them ready and get them off to school. And, and I was just, I just gotten so tired of screaming at them. You've got to get ready. Come on, get dressed. Stop playing around. Is that good or bad? <laughs> it's real. Um, anyway, um, Jack said, well, I was really tired of that, so I just stood in the middle of the living room and I screamed, help! <laughs> and the kids all came running and put their arms around him and said, what can we do, Dad? <laughs> But that's a shift. That's a shift from, I'm, I'm responsible, I'm getting to work, I'm going to, you know. And then when you, wanted, when you have that in mind, then the kids are a problem. You know, you need to get them to do something, and then you, and then you, can get, then you start getting mad at them, and then you forget that they're your kids, and, you know, they're just an obstacle to getting to work. <laughs> And but then there's something about uh, so wonderful about help, and that actually help is available. 
and that's a different relationship. I'd like your help, please. You know, um, what can we do? Uh, and then there's then there's some connection rather than some authority trying to get the lessers or the smallers to, you know, follow what the authority says. Whether it's somebody outside or it's your own authorities left over in your head, you need to this, you should that, what's wrong with you, why didn't you, you what were you thinking, why weren't you thinking? <laughs> <clears throat> I don't know, maybe your 10,000 idiots have packed their bags and left home. <laughs> And you have no idea what I'm talking about. But anyway. <clears throat> but Jack, it turns out, then eventually left uh, real estate and he went back to school and became a therapist. And he said, I did that for a few days. And then I started doing what I really want to do was hypnotherapy. And now he's written a book called Finding True Magic. So then I, I worked with Jack for a while and it, you know, that's... A, a, a longer story, but I worked with him for a while, and I called him up and said, Jack, this is like finding true magic. But I'm bringing this up because, you know, there's no evidence for it. Jack was, I'll tell you just a little piece of this, because Jack was the, Jack was the first person that I've ever worked with who said, Ed, you have a lot of old stories that you keep telling yourself. Old pictures. And when you watch the old pictures, you get sad and unhappy. Why do you keep watching those pictures? Well, it's what happened. <laughs> it's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> but Ed, when you think these thoughts and you see these pictures, uh, you get unhappy. Why are you watching those same movies, those same pictures? Well, it's, it's how I'm loyal to my, to my parents and how I love them, to remember, to remember them and what they were like. And, you know, when my mother died, I decided to, it's okay, because I'll go on feeling your feelings for you. <laughs> no, actually, when you, you know, when you're, you don't know the difference between, you know, self and other until about age four. My mother died when I was three, so it was, it's not that I decided that I didn't have much choice. That's just what you do. It's what you decide. So I'm feeling all these feelings that are actually my mom's feelings. She's, you know, upset. She's worried. She's scared. She's anxious. Why do you go on doing that? Do you think she'd want you to do that? But somehow it's love. It's love to go on and Jack says, but Ed, you're ma it's making you unhappy. Why do you keep doing that? And he just persisted for about 45 minutes. And finally, I had to say, I give up. I give up. All right. <laughs> and uh, this is where no evidence comes in. You know, there's no evidence. You know, who are you? What kind of person are you? You know, in your heart of hearts, in your core, what kind of person are you? And you can go inside and... There's a poem by um, Kabir uh, in this regard. He says, the guest, uh, which is the word for, you know, divine, 
the guest is inside you and inside me. The sprout is hidden within the seed. None of us has gotten very far, so set aside your arrogance then and take a look around inside. The blue sky extends further and further. The daily sense of failure comes to an end. The damage I have done to myself fades away. A million suns come forward with light when I sit firmly in that place. Inside, not looking at yourself as an object to be measured and assessed and evaluated and, you know, but just your, your innate awareness. Mind, uh, in Zen we say, mind itself is Buddha. Your mind itself is Buddha, is holy. <clears throat> and we say about um, consciousness, mind in Zen and Buddhism, you know, not, does not, um, is not born, does not die, does not appear, does not disappear, is not tainted, is not pure, uh, does not increase, does not decrease. You can make a lot of assessments and measurements and, and you're getting somewhere, you're not getting anywhere. So finally, uh, without any evidence, you know, there's no evidence for this. You're, you know, we're spiritual beings in our heart of hearts, in our essence, in our core. And then, you know, how will you manifest, how will you share that? Your goodness, your truth, your essence, how will you share it with others? And sometimes Buddhism will be a help because, you know, there's skills you can learn. Dan Clerman and, uh, you know, Wes Niska are coming whenever it is. And, you know, I've worked with Dan Clerman and not in Feltenkrais, but he, he and his uh, wife, Mudita, who's, you know, Scoop Nisker's ex-wife. <laughs> Mudita Nisker. She may still go by Nisker. And, um, but they do this wonderful communication course. And then you can start communicating more from your core rather than out of your habit, habit mind. <clears throat> um, but in the Perfection of Wisdom Sutras, uh, maybe it's the Diamond Sutra, you know, it says a bodhisattva will awaken a thought that's unsupported by any evidence. So this is different than already having a belief, I'm, I'm, I'm worthless, I'm great, I'm not so great, and having an, an, a thought about who you are, and then looking for the evidence that will support your thought. And it's very hard to come across enough evidence to ever change your thinking. You just can't do it. You, and we keep trying to, you know, like, if I could be, if, you know, like, just in a simple way, when I was younger, if I could sit for 40 minutes without moving, wouldn't that be great? I, that would mean that I was, you know, a great, a great spiritual person. Then you sit for 40 minutes like, you know, if you sit for a day, you know, that would mean something. So you can't, how do you ever change your idea? No, you need to sit for a week. You need to do one of those three-month courses. 
<laughs> you know. So you you know the way our awareness works. You need to keep getting more and more better evidence. You know to prove anything. So you'll never you'll never get enough evidence. So with no evidence, sweet sweetheart inside. You know you're a sweetheart. You know that, don't you? <laughs> and it's hard to get the evidence that you're actually a sweetheart. Because so many terrible things happen in spite of the fact that we're all sweethearts. Isn't that something? <laughs> how, does, how does that work? And of course you have the same question you know, in Christianity. God is a sweetheart. And why does he let all these painful things happen? And that's such a big question, isn't it? And it's and it, it it's a question about love. What is love? And somehow when we you know we love our children and at some point they're gonna go out in the world and we are not gonna be able to make sure that nothing bad happens to them, even though we love them. You can't do it. But, you know, we're going to, and so, you know, love means, you know, things will go, and it doesn't mean that you're not loving or you're not a sweetheart or you're not, you're not good hearted, but things are still going to happen. And if you think, oh, I have to fix everything before I can be convinced that I'm a sweetheart, no, it's not true. (sighs) Am I making any sense here? I don't know. I'm trying to say something and I may or may not be conveying it very well. Try. Um, So I'm going to, I think, stop here. And um, I had one other short Hafiz poem. Um, It's called Tripping Over Joy. What is the difference between your existence and that of a saint? The saint knows that life is like a is a chess game with the divine and the beloved had just made such a fantastic move that the saint is tripping over joy and saying i surrender i surrender while you my friend still think you have thousands of really good moves <laughs> But this I surrender, I surrender is another form of I give up trying to accumulate, you know, enough evidence to convince myself that I'm a really good-hearted person. You will never, you can't do it. You are a good-hearted person. And, and you can fill yourself with your good-heartedness. And then at some point people tell you, you know, what you said was so dumb and stupid and I can't, you know, you are such a miserable excuse of a human being. And then, like, I can understand how you'd see it that way. And then you come (laughs) back inside. I understand how you see it that way. I still, still I understand I'm a good person. I'm doing the best I can. I make mistakes. My apologies. Or... I don't see it that way. I'm a good-hearted person. I had no intention of doing that, saying that. I had no intention of hurting you. you know, so you, you can come back to your goodness.
and fill yourself with your goodness, your good-heartedness, your core. All right, thank you. <clears throat> I was debating there, you know, do I give you one more poem? I have, <laughs> I have a lot of other poems, you know. Antonio Machado, Anna Akhmatova, Akhmatova, um, you know, another Rumi. Machado. Because that's a good one, you know, that Robert Bly translated. Um, uh, Last Night as I Was Dreaming. Yeah. Um, and Robert Bly's translation, you know, last night as I was dreaming, I dreamt. And then he says, oh, marvelous error. Like, where did that come from? There's no evidence for that. <laughs> uh, last night as I was dreaming, oh, marvelous error. I dreamt, uh, I dreamt there was a fountain here in my heart. And I said, a water along which secret aqueducts are you coming to me, water of a new life that I have never drunk. A water along which, along which secret aqueducts are you coming to me, water of a new life that I have never drunk. This is not somebody busy accumulating evidence. <laughs> oh, marvelous error. Um, last night as I was sleeping, I dreamt, oh, marvelous error, there was a beehive here in my heart, and the golden bees were making white comb and sweet honey out of my old failures. There was a beehive here in my heart, and the golden bees were making white comb and sweet honey out of my old failures. Last night as I was dreaming, um, as, last night as I was sleeping, I dreamt, oh marvelous error, there was a fiery sun here in my heart. Fiery because it brought warmth as though from a hearth. Sun because it brought light and tears to my eyes. Last night as I was sleeping, I dreamt, oh, marvelous error, there was a divine presence here in my heart. Divine presence. We're, we're on one hand, you know, we're, we're here, we're here on earth, and we're also something from, someone from beyond. Um, <clears throat> in fact, um, I will tell you one more little Zen piece here. Uh, Zen Master Dogen wrote instructions for meditation. Uh, and his original instructions, which were written when he was um, oh, 28 or 29, said, um, if you have a thought, notice it, and it will disappear. If you do this long enough, your mind will become quiet. So 20 years later, he rewrote it. He took that out. 
And he said, um, what is the essential art of sitting? He said, uh, not thinking. What is not thinking? Beyond thinking. Beyond thinking. So, you know, this is uh, to suggest that, you know, meditation is not just something you do, but something that comes from beyond. You know, this is, and in spiritual traditions we have, you know, there's, um, we study with teachers, and they study with teachers. We have spiritual ancestors, we have lineages, and we can invite, you know, something to come from beyond. There are many meditations like that. So um, that's an example of, on one hand, you know, you could practice quiet in your mind, and you have a picture. My, I, could, I could get my mind to be quiet, just like I heard can be done, or something more free. Something can, things can come to you, you know. You have your own sense, your own intuition, your own knowing what's what for yourself. What you like, you know, what you like to cook, what you like to do, how you, how you express your love to others, how you can be a good-hearted sweetheart, you know, and, and trust that you are. It's been, you know, I finally decided I am a sweetheart. Because, you know, so many people don't seem to notice. <laughs> and it can be so distressing. And then it's, and then I get so upset and I'm not acting like a sweetheart at all because, and it's all to, because they're not noticing. <laughs> What's wrong with them? <laughs> they should know what a sweetheart I am. But you're not sounding like a sweetheart, sweetheart. <laughs> Very interesting. We have a lot of work to do, but we have our whole lives. So um, thank you for undertaking this journey. And please continue, and um, um, uh, thank you. Blessings. Love and blessings. Have a good night. Turn right. (laughs) Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.